Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Morning, Sarah. Hello, Rebecca. How's today looking for you? I'm looking out the window right now, and it looks like we have clear weather. Again. And lots of heat and sun. No rain. No rain, which makes talking about a tornado a little bit difficult. Today's episode is all about the 1939 tornado that hit Anoka on June 18th. And this episode is coming out June 18th. How is that for timing? You are the one that always looks at the calendar and thinks about these things. So big thumbs up, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Have you ever experienced severe weather, a tornado? No, although I experienced a mother who had some very severe reactions to the idea of severe weather. (laughs) What? (laughs) So my mom's originally from England. They don't have tornadoes over there. So she came to America in 71 and nobody bothered to tell her about tornadoes because they're so normal here. One day she was outside and the sky got that lovely green tinge that it does and the sirens start going off and people continued to mow their lawn and it didn't seem to phase them at all and coming from England when she was born at the end of World War II sirens meant bombs and she was waiting for the planes and there's this crazy green air and she wasn't really sure what was going on and came to find out it was tornadoes and so I spent the rest of my childhood being petrified of tornadoes And I was tasked with grabbing my teddy bear and dashing to the basement and hiding out. And, oh. Well, in 1939, no tornado sirens even available for the people here. They had some memories of weird weather and things coming up to it. But some people were surprised. And uh, we're lucky to have a number of oral histories in the collection in various states of audio quality. Uh, They were recorded on cassette tapes, mostly in the 80s, on the 50th anniversaries of of the tornado coming through. So I took little bits and pieces of all of those and turned it into a little bit of an audio journey for us today. I really enjoyed listening to the draft, and so I think we should jump right into it. It had been a quiet Sunday afternoon in east-central Minnesota when suddenly, about mid-afternoon of June 18, 1939, a tornado of terrific intensity slashed a path over 30 miles long through Anoka and Hennepin counties. Taking the lives of nine persons and injuring 59 more, 50 of them seriously. 40 homes were destroyed and another 205 were damaged. The tornado first struck a farm near Corcoran, Hennepin County, and then sweeping northeastward at a forward speed estimated to be 40 miles an hour, tore a path through the townships of Maple Grove, Brooklyn, and Champlin in Hennepin County. Lifted, drove across the Mississippi River, devastated 50 of Anoka's 200 city blocks. 
Official Report of Relief Operations from the American National Red Cross, 1939. My name is Kenneth Lindgren, and we lived on Grant Street in North Anoka. Memories are very vivid because I was only 12 years old, and I remember these things very well. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was about 3 o'clock or a little after. My name is Philip DeJarles. That memory lives forever in my mind. I was working for Dr. Harry Klein, who was uh, a physician and surgeon in Anoka for many years. And uh, I was working in the office at that time. We uh, had office hours on uh, Sundays and uh, he had many patients uh, waiting. And I recall uh, in the afternoon, it was a rainy afternoon and uh, around uh, 3 or 3.30, the power went off. My full name is Rose Leah Paul Smith. I was sitting on the front porch and we were just conversing and, and just enjoying uh, the breeze. And, uh, it was very humid, very heavy humid. And uh, we thought maybe there'd be a storm blowing up pretty soon. Donald William Smith. Oh, it was a uh, scary kind of a day with a big black cloud rolling through and uh, some breezy type of a day and humid until shortly before the tornado struck. Then, of course, the wind died down to a stillness that was very eerie. I can remember that part of it. I went and looked out of the east window, and it looked like a lot of leaves and uh, junk up in the air, very high. And actually, those were doors and parts of buildings and, uh, and everything uh, traveling off to the east, uh, northeast. Philip DeCharles may have been safe from the flying debris he saw in the air from Harry Klein's clinic on Anoka's west side. But now the power was out, and his family had been on the tornado-hit side of the Rum River. I called the power company and uh, said, how long is the power going to be off? The uh, fellow who answered said, well, all the poles are down on 7th Avenue, so it might be three or four days. I was really shocked when I heard that because we lived at 2812 6th Avenue North in Anoka, and uh, that was just a block off the 7th Avenue disaster area. And uh, I was starting down the stairs at that uh, moment because I wanted to get home and see how my wife and my young daughter were. Uh, I met my dad and my wife and my daughter on the stairway. My dad had gone up there to check on them, and uh, they were both okay. They had spent the uh, tornado time in the coal bin uh, that was very large and underground and so they were perfectly safe. There wasn't uh, a great deal of damage done to the house itself. Shingles were turned up and uh, uh, slivers driven through the screens and a few windows broken. I, of course, I stayed at work uh, then when I found that my wife and daughter were safe and my dad took them back home and uh, uh, I got through work uh, somewhere around 8 o'clock or uh, 9 o'clock, and uh, when I went home, um, when I got to Ferry in Maine, it was blocked off. Uh, it didn't permit anybody to travel in, and I told them I lived on 6th Avenue North, but it didn't make any difference. And so I went up to Faraday's Bridge and took 7th Avenue in, and it was blocked off at Grant Street. And uh, I turned right on Grant Street, and 6th Avenue was blocked off 
too. But uh, I uh, I gave her the gas and uh, up over the curb and around the barricade, and the uh, guard was yelling at me that I uh, continued on my way uh, home. And uh, next morning, uh, uh, we uh, we had to get a pass uh, to uh, to get uh, uh, in and out of Anoka, and so I went down to the uh, uh, the adjutant. Uh, who was in charge of the uh, National Guard, and uh, there were many people there getting passes. And as I recall, it was in uh, uh, the Hodgkin's garage uh, where um, the carpet uh, company is now. And uh, I got a pass and didn't have any trouble getting in and out after that. It has been said that because there were uh, two rivers here, Anoka would never be hit by a tornado. and. Uh, uh, that myth has certainly, was certainly dispelled in 1939 uh, when uh, the uh, tornado crossed the river. Some of the fellows who were standing on the bridge, they said that the water was swept right up out of the river and the they could see the bottom of the river when that uh, tornado went across. It's hard to imagine the power in uh, something like that. The American Legion District Convention was in town that day, and Irma Riddler, along with her husband Guy, were preparing the Masonic Lodge on 3rd Avenue for an event that night, and were much closer to the path of the tornado. We were in the temple, in the basement of the, of the Masonic Temple. I had charge of the dining room. We had a, a, a big dinner coming up that night, and I had the tables all set, white tablecloths, and we were all ready for the banquet. Well, I was supposed to be helper, and pour coffee. All afternoon it was often black, so we knew that there was something coming. But we got down in the temple, we just got down there about maybe five minutes when it hit. A piece of a tree came in through the window, and uh, the tablecloths and everything was flying across the tables. We stayed in the morning for a while. We couldn't get out, there was a tree against the door. It was a great, a great big blues goose in the beautiful tree. What happened to your banquet? We had the food. And so uh, the, uh, I think all of the uh, paraphernalia in lighting from St. Paul, Minneapolis is up here. Of course, the electricity was off. And they brought lights and set up in the temple. And uh, so we just uh, fed people who came in, anybody that came in and wanted something to eat, we fed them. We worked all night. It's their right. people and taking names. Nurses and doctors from St. Paul, Minneapolis, everybody turned out. It was just wonderful when they came up. And there was somebody, I don't know who it was, I never did find out, but I always wish I knew. Some man came in the back way in the kitchen, and he washed dishes all that time. And, and, and you never, never did find out who he was. So you don't know if he was a man that lived in Anoka or anything about him. We don't know where he comes from. We were so busy with everything else, you know, that I never found out who it was. But he was much appreciated. <laughs> I guess. And all of a sudden, I saw a great big side of a, of a barn or whatever it was, a big door, big door coming up and way in the sky, just coming, waving, waving, coming right at us. And boy, did we jump. 
with no sirens to warn her of severe weather, Rose Smith and her husband were on the porch when the tornado started to approach. We went right, we went right for, the, for the basement. But, but as I got into that dining room to open up that door, it must have just went by then, and it shh, the, the rug went right in uh, underneath the table, the dining room table swooshed around. We figured, well, maybe it's just, and it's just like a train, choo, 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 you know, like a train going by. And I ran back, I ran back, back, uh, back of the house, and I could just see it coming, just like a, a tumbleweed, just coming and uh, making that noise. And it was going on the way towards, I would say, the northeast direction. I would say the northeast direction it was heading for. And I thought, well, we better get back in. There's a tornado. I didn't know too much about tornadoes then. And uh, it did do a little damage in, our, in the house. It cracked all the, the plaster in the front room. Uh, they cleaned out the main street right away. But the ambulance, oh, there were ambulance were, that, and the fire uh, police to the siren was uh, blown all, all day long taking people to the hospital, those that were injured. It was a dream for a long time. It's something that stayed in our minds so long, it, it, it was unbelievable. And for those that had lost their loved ones in, the, in it, it was pretty sad. A high schooler in 1939, Rose's son Don wasn't home at the time of the tornado. Don Smith, my son. And uh, he was working at Norval's little corner store on on Seventh uh, and Main. I was working at uh, Norval Olson's uh, grocery and filling station on the corner of Seventh and Main Street in Anoka, which was just a half a block away from home. Uh, Norval and his family had gone to Minneapolis to visit his folks. We weren't real busy in the store that afternoon. It was just a small store, but. The front door faced out towards the north, and uh, looking out on Main Street, there were a lot of cars uh, speeding east uh, like something was chasing them. So I ran outside to see what was wrong. And just then, uh, Fred Yoho stopped at the corner, at the curb, to let someone out, and I asked him what all the cars were rushing for. And he said, well, there's a tornado coming, pointed off towards the southwest. And I turned around and I could see it. Probably uh, just about the time it was moving in towards Champlain, coming our way. Yeah, I think we had a couple of young girls and an older woman, and Winslow was waiting on them. And I said, there's a tornado coming, let's all go downstairs. Norval Olson's house was attached right to the store on the south end of the store, so we went, we had to go through the back door, in through their kitchen, and then down the basement. And after we got down there, I just happened to remember that Mrs. Olson had told me before she left, to, would I please close the windows in the house if it rained? Well, of course, uh, I thought it was probably going to rain, so I ran upstairs to quick close all the windows. Well, we weren't here to experience the tornado. Bernice Olson and her family were in Minneapolis visiting her father-in-law for Father's Day. On the drive back, they didn't have any clue whether the store would be standing when they got back. 
or whether the two high schoolers they left in charge of the store were okay. No, we had two boys from the senior high school working for us. One was Donald Smith and uh, Wincy Chamberlain. We had the store open on Sunday at the time, and they watched the store while we went to the city. And when the storm came, they closed all the windows and went down in the basement. But we went out, Winslow and I went out into the street after the, they came upstairs and looked towards town. And uh, power lines and trees uh, were blown over and the street was just a green mass of uh, branches and trees down towards downtown. So we closed the store and thought we'd walk uptown to see what had happened. We saw a few people we knew, and it was just chaos, of course. Uh, trees down all over, and the army was destroyed, and the houses next door. And Winslow got worried about his folks' place, who were, lived straight north of the store, about uh, four or five blocks, uh, which would have been right in the path of the tornado. So he thought he'd go home and see what happened. So I went back to the store and opened up, uh, you know, in case it was business. I had nothing else to do anyway. I was supposed to be there. So I was all alone anyway. Well, lo and behold, when I got back, I found out that we were probably one of only two filling stations in Anoka that had non-electric gasoline pumps. And, of course, all the power was off throughout the city. And cars started coming in to fill up, and I found out from them that they were legionnaires that were wanting to get back home. They had been here for the 10th District Legion Convention in town, and it seemed like all of them were low on gas. And I pumped gas steady just about until my mother and dad came over to help, and my mother brought over a... I believe it was an oil lamp, a couple of oil lamps perhaps, or candles to put in the store because it was so dark in there. And my dad helped me pump gas uh, for quite some time. I don't remember, it was a long time. Along about 6 o'clock, I think it was, uh, one of the Bowers kids came to the store. I knew we were getting low on one of on the gasoline that we had in there. The Bowers boy, his father had the Mobile Gas dealership just a few blocks away, and I asked him if he'd go home and see if there's any way they could get me some gas and bring it over, which they did about an hour later. So they just drained it off into this small pickup truck with a tank and then brought it over to the store and drained it into the tank. So we pumped gasoline there until it must have been 9 or 10 o'clock that night, and that's about the time Olson and the family came back home. We were very busy at the store. The National Guard had uh, their tent or whatever at the old baseball field right across Kitty Corner from our store. And of course, they were going back and forth all hours of the night, so it was a little different with your living, you know, a little noisier. Well, got people to thinking that we could have a tornado in Anoka, which we never thought we could have because of the two rivers joining. They always said, oh, we'll never have a tornado. But we found out that when a tornado comes, it comes regardless of any sayings.
I remember when Winslow and I went uptown right after it happened, uh, there was some power lines laying in the, in the brush, snapping, you know, that were still charged. We were very careful. So I don't think too many people did much nosing around because uh, there was crews busy cutting up brush and that too, you know, it's just in their way. I, don't, I hope we never have another tornado go through town. Luck would have it, I was two blocks from the tornado, but I could have been right in the path. And that foolish move of mine to come upstairs and close the windows could have meant my life, you know. For some, the day was just another storm or an inconvenience as they sheltered safely out of the tornado's path. For others, like Herbert Lee, they huddled with family, not knowing if they would survive. My name is Herbert Lee. Later in the afternoon, after a little show, Laura went out in the front yard to scatter some grass. Presently, she called to Herb to take a look at the sky. He looked up and saw all kinds of debris whirling around, orbs, branches, and so forth. As far as you could see, he called to her to come in. Aunt Hattie was lying on the bed in the little room south of the dining room. The home was no longer there. We got her up and got her as far as the dining room when the storm struck. We stood around with our arms around each other and someone said, God help us all. He did. We never received a scratch. Herb, Clark, Marlis, Aunt Hattie, and the girl. A chunk of Macaulay's chimney about two feet square and three feet long, came through the window and lay beside the bed. Mr. McCauley managed to crawl into our house and was calling, Mabel, Mabel. He had lost his glasses and thought he was in his own home. We all called Mabel, and finally we had an answer. She was completely buried under lath and plaster. We carefully dug her out to find her worst injury was an injured little finger. The storm had blown down a maple tree over a foot in diameter in our front yard, and the floor that Art and his aunt were on was turned upside down on it with Art and his aunt underneath. Art crawled out, and the fireman came and freed his aunt. Laura's sister Mary and her husband Art Peterson managed to drive their car by a roundabout way to the 50-yard line on 4th Avenue. Art and Herb made a chair by holding each other's wrists. Aunt Hattie sat on that with her arms around her necks. We carried her out over the rubble to the car. Of course, we had no electricity. We found a kerosene lamp, no chimney. So we took the mason jar, soaked the string kerosene, tied it around the jar near the bottom, that's the match to it, then dunked it in cold water to break the bottom of it. That was our lamp chimney. We had a new perfection oil stove cooking, so kerosene was no problem. Herb's folks lived at Cedar, and first reports said that Cedar was wiped off the map. Effects on our lives, scars will always be on our memory. While everyone in Anoka experienced the tornado in some way, for nine families, the devastation of that day included the death of a family member, including Gladys Searing Christensen's father, Ernest Searing, 
who is misidentified as Martin in some sources and memories. The upstairs neighbors came home from downtown. And as she was coming up to the house, she said, look what's coming, look what's coming. She said it was a tornado. And the only thing I could think of, there was no basement in the house, the only thing I could think of was to take the kids and lay down on the ground. We were on the, we were three blocks, I would say two or three blocks from the river. And the storm was on the other side of the river. And we were on, we could see the outer circle of the tornado. And when anybody tells you that it sounds like a freight train going over a long bridge, that's exactly what it sounds like. Just exactly what it sounds like. And we thought that the tornado went over towards their house. And so, of course, we went towards my folks' house, which was on... Um, 7th Avenue and Johnson Street. And we got over there. The houses were twisted off of their foundation. And my folks' house was completely gone. And my mother came up to him and says, I can't find Dad. Well, my sister had been hurt. And she was over across the street in the neighbor's house. I went over and got her. And I took her to my house. I didn't know what else to do. And I cleaned her up as best I could. And in the meantime, the other neighbor had come home, and he said they were having an emergency hospital down at the high school. And so I put her in, put her in the car and took my mother, and we went down there. And they checked her both over down there. And they sent my sister to the hospital, which was on... 4th Avenue. It was Dr. Mark's Hospital on 4th Avenue at that time. And she was there for a whole week. And on the day of my dad was killed, he was found over across 7th Avenue over the field. And then on the day of dad's funeral, it just it just poured. At just 12 years old, Kenneth Lindgren found himself directly in the path of destruction on 7th Avenue. After the storm, he heard three of his neighbors were among those who died. My dad came in the house and hollered, we've got a bad storm coming. He said, I think it's a tornado. I was standing out behind our house and I looked down over toward town and I saw this wind, this black, black uh, funnel coming and I saw debris going up in the air, trees and all the rest going up in the air um, down around the railroad tracks and things from the from the uh, from the railroad actually like parts of boxcars that kind of thing and uh, you could see all these things going up so you know it was a terrible storm coming and, we, and he said get mother and I ran to the stairs going upstairs to Tell mother to come down. We've got a bad storm coming. And uh, she's, well, just a minute. I'm cleaning up here. And uh, I said, mother, damn it. Get down here because we've got a bad storm coming. And that was a little out of character for me at that time. But uh, anyway, she finally did come down. And dad herded us all into the basement. Dad said, let's get in this corner. And then if the, the house goes, at least it won't blow it down on us. 
So we were in the southwest corner of the of the cellar, and when the tornado went over, it was very close to us apparently because it kind of sucked the breath away from me. It was, oh. and we came up, and the world looked different to us. We looked across our garden, and we saw all these homes were gone. And it had twisted our home on its foundation so that you could see. We saw daylight from the basement. As a matter of fact, you could look down into all the corners of our our cellar because the house was twisted on the foundation so that the cellar was exposed. It seemed like it was just in a matter of two or three minutes. And then the people started coming to our home. All of the windows in our home were broken. They set up a Red Cross station in our house and people started bleeding, people started uh, coming in and, uh, and then it was all bedlam. And then we learned that Mr. Grote across the street had been killed and uh, Mr. Morissette across on the other side of our garden had been killed. And the story on Mr. Morissette as we understood it at that time was that he had his children and grandchildren visiting on this Sunday afternoon. And they had all gone into the basement like we had. But one of the grandchildren was missing. And he went upstairs to get this grandchild. And he finally got the grandchild. And he got to the head of the stairs, bringing this grandchild back. And he threw the grandchild down. And it was caught by one of the people down below. And the house was taken off its foundation and killed him. And Mr. Grote's body was just rolled. Like they were saying at the time that you could put the body in a bushel basket because all the bones were broken in his body. And Martin Searing was an oil distributor that lived just one block south and a little bit to the east of us. And they found his body across 7th Avenue, and he'd been decapitated. Uh, so all three of these deaths in North Anoka were within roughly a block of our home. So it was quite a traumatic, traumatic experience for a 12-year-old, and I can recall that I didn't sleep very well for a long time after that. But I, as I recall, it took a long time to get this cleaned up because you had wire and you had boards with nails sticking out, and I can still remember with my tennis shoes, I stepped on at least three or four of those rusty nails over a period of that summer and the next summer, possibly. It was, uh, it was an experience that I'll never forget, obviously. The damage in the city of Anoka accounted for three quarters of all destruction in Anoka and Hennepin counties. Estimates show that well over a million dollars of damage was done to property not counting the loss of trees and shrubbery on the carefully tended home sites. After the passage of over 80 years, buildings were rebuilt, streets repaved, trees regrown, and the Inoka tornado is more associated with the high school rather than a weather event, all of which makes it easy to overlook the impact the event had on the individuals and families of Inoka. So we are forever grateful to the residents who powered through, rebuilt, and told their story. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello, everyone. My name is Haley Coble, and I am a librarian at the Northtown branch of Noka County Library. 
Having grown up in Tornado Alley, this week's topic is one close to my heart. I've physically been in two tornadoes. So let's get started and learn about some resources on tornadoes, storm chasers, and more. The first thing I've got on my list is the Anoka County Union, Your Souvenir Bicentennial Issue. These special edition newspapers made it into the library minute once again. Unfortunately, our library doesn't have any books about the 1939 Anoka tornado specifically. There don't seem to be any imprint about that particular storm. However, this bicentennial version of the Anoka County Union does contain a page with information about a number of twisters that have come through Minnesota. It can be found in our Minnesota reference collection. The next book I have is about another famous Minnesota tornado. It's called Suburbia's Longest Night by Tri-County Publishers. The Tri-County Publishers publication Suburbia's Longest Night also details the events of the May 6, 1965 tornado that tore up Fridley Lane, Spring Lake Park, Moundsview, Chanhassen, Minnetonka, and Golden Valley. A fascinating piece of history, the small booklet provides reports and a photographic record of this devastating series of storms. Next up, I've got the Cloud Spotters Guide, The Science, History, and Culture of Clouds by Gavin Peter Penny. For those of us who love big storms and are also a huge fan of clouds, Tornadoes, for instance, often form out of wall clouds, huge flat bottom clouds that stretch across the horizon. Learn about wall clouds and other clouds in the Cloud Spotter's Guide and find out all about the simple joy of studying the sky. Next up and moving a little bit further south, we have The Mercy of the Sky, the story of a tornado by Holly Bailey. The May 20th, 2013 tornado that leveled Moore, Oklahoma is personally close to my heart. I'm from Oklahoma and I remember sitting in a chair at my friend's record store in downtown St. Paul, watching the radar and Facebook and texting friends and family back home, frantically trying to make sure everyone I knew and loved was safe and feeling quite helpless from 12 and a half hours away. Holly Bailey's book covers the anxiety and terror of that day and the perspectives of the teachers, first responders, meteorologists, storm chasers, and regular people who were affected. And in case you're curious, no one I knew was injured or killed in this storm. Next up, we have a book from the popular nonfiction children's series, I Survived, Tornado Terror by Lauren Tarshis. I Survived Tornado Terror tells the stories of survivors of two of the most devastating tornadoes to ever touch ground in the United States, the 1925 Tri-State Tornado and the brutal Joplin Tornado of 2011. In addition, the book includes facts about tornadoes, storm chasers, and meteorology. And last but not least, we have Twister. Still probably the greatest feature film about a tornado. 1996's Twister starring Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt and a flying cow or two was supposedly based on some work by the good people of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Of course, in typical Oklahoma fashion, an eerily similar tornado struck a farm in Fairfax, Oklahoma in 2010, destroying a barn and other set pieces featured in the film. Thanks again for stopping by for the Library Minute. Remember that you can use the call numbers here to find resources like these in the library, or you can always ask your librarian. Have a great week and talk to you again soon. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. I really appreciated listening to everybody's perspective of the tornado. I'm so glad those oral histories were made. 
Tornadoes are so fickle. They go in this, this line of devastation and they hop. And so people don't know if you're going to be in that path. Somebody a street over was fine and somebody in the path lost everything uh, and possibly lost somebody in their family. So they're really hard, hard to deal with. I couldn't imagine being the child realizing that half of your neighborhood literally passed away that day. Yeah, and we have a number of things in the collection that help us tell this story. Uh, we have like something as odd as a slice of a tree that got really super bent and continued to grow after the tornado. And then somebody gave us a slice of it after it eventually perished. We have the little ceramic pots that the Masonic Lodge placed in the middle of tables at that American Legion District convention that they were planning. So they had the tables all set up. And one of the things they had were these decorative things. So we have a couple of those. One even made its way to California before coming back to us. And most amazingly, we have a film that was shot by Robert Peterson. He was coming back from Minneapolis that day with his brand new camera and decided to start using it right away. He got it out and started filming. And so we have a record of what the streets were looking like that day and in the days afterwards. We spliced it all together and put little title cards over things. And it's really fun to look at. We've even got the splicer in the camera, don't we? We have the camera, we have the splicer, we have how he edited it together. We have the little base that he used to record the title cards. It's all a little package. It's really such a gift. I, I say it every time. It's such a gift. The community saves these items and then donates them to the History Center. And the impact that it has down the road is just amazing. So I know that we would like to do something similar with the 1965 tornado that came through Fridley. So we'll probably be looking at putting that podcast out in May around that anniversary too. Most definitely. Now that I have this down, we can figure that out in May. It's a date along with my birthday. Join us then and every first and third Friday between now and then. Please do. We'll see you then. Bye everybody. If you have a question or you would like to share your own story with us, you can find us at anocacountyhistory.org. We are all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all who scroll by. For our members and donors, you can find special access to podcast extras, as well as the latest digital resources at our vault located on the website. History 21 is a production of the Anoka County Historical Society. Remember, the present is the past of the future.